Good morning, everyone. It's early morning on the West Coast. I am so excited uh, because you have uh, two middle-aged men here who's probably <laughs> wake up early anyway. But Tony got onto the show and said, I've never missed a broadcast. Don't worry. I said, that was the least of my worries with you being here. Uh, thank you, Tony Potts. If you don't know Tony, you haven't been around, uh, at least NBC, because he is an Emmy Award winning, uh, I guess, an Emmy Award winning career in content, uh, of course, with Access Hollywood um, and many other things uh, that he has done, hosting thousands and thousands, over 4,000 shows, I think, and you know, so many pieces of content. But w when we talk about so many pieces of content, I want people to realize that we're talking about entire episodes of content, not today's micro content. You know, I could put out a million pieces of content in a day, you know, at eight seconds a piece. Yep. <laughs> um, so <laughs> anyway, you have a, a company that you've co-founded, The Content Artists. And I can't think of a better person to start this company because number one, you've seen the evolution of content. Mm. You know the importance of content. You understand the audience and how it's become more of a spectrum type of audience that you can speak to just to, instead of what we call the broadcast, yep. we can have what I call a microcast, um, which could be more powerful in, in some respects. But I want to start with consistency uh, because your career has been a phenomenal career. And now your consistency has allowed you to impact millions of people in a different way other than entertaining people, which I found uh, Access Hollywood one of the most entertaining TV shows I've ever seen. But today <laughs> you impact people with values. Um, how has that consistency related or reconciled with these values that are essential to what you do? It's interesting you say that. And by the way, uh, thanks for having me. It's great to see you. Um, it's, I was having a conversation. I was at a uh, private screening uh, with the Directors Guild here uh, in Hollywood on a, uh, with ben Benedict Cumberbatch, his new movie. It's a Jane Campion film. And I was talking to somebody I knew there um, right after the Q&A. And um, we're talking about she's been in the business about 30 some years. And she's a, one of the major publicists in Hollywood. And one of the things that I always had in my back pocket was just the values of my parents growing up, you know, never sandbag somebody on the air, right? Never take advantage of them and what have you. So when I, when I got into Hollywood, which I called at the time, I, I came up through sports and news and investigative news and I anchored in New York and all this stuff. And then when I got the call, maybe like they wanted me to come to access Hollywood, I, cause I have a degree in journalism, editorial writing and all that stuff. I thought, man, am I going to go to the dark side of journalism? It's entertainment. Like, what is that? Um, but it was great. You know, my, my dad, you know, was, my dad's very pragmatic and has a dry sense of humor. And he was like, son, you're going to go around the world. They're going to fly you first class. You're going to, they're going to put you, you're going to driver in every city you go to. So, cause you're talent, they think you're going to get lost. You don't know where you're going. Um, <laughs> you're going to meet amazing people doing amazing things in amazing places. You know, why wouldn't you? And they're going to pay you for this. Are you nuts? Yes. Go to the dark side. <laughs> and as I went through the dark side and doing all these interviews with over time, I never had notes because I studied. So it was never like an interview. It was a chat like this. And over time, consistency managers and agents and A-list stars realized, oh, that dude gives a crap. He did his homework because I would know stuff about them that nobody else really would or would give a crap to like. So over time, to, much to your point, they're like, OK, this dude's great. This guy, we can count on him. You know, and if there were there were tough questions I had to ask, I would say before, you know, we had all these cameras and what have you, I would say to them and their PR person or whomever was in the room, look, I got to ask you this question. Like, look, you're here because we can broadcast to 6 million people to sell your movie. So we're helping you out. But there is stuff in the news I've got to ask you. I will ask you twice, come up with whatever answer you want to, you know, or if you want to talk about it, let me know. Let's do it. So over time that worked. And then as I moved on into other things and starting a, a small venture capital fund to bridge Hollywood technology, sports and esports, I could reach out to those people, David and go, hey, I know some of your clients want to invest, or I would know them personally. So it's, you know, I always just say to people, it's what I do. It's not really what I am, in a sense. I mean, it, I mean, I cared and I loved it and what have you. But over time, I knew that like, I'm in it for the long haul, right? I got kids. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be a jerk and embarrass you. So, so yeah, and back to your point, I've, I've never missed a, a broadcast. Um, you know, all of them were live, and I used to drive my, I used to drive the directors and executive producers crazy because I hate waiting. I don't like being on the set for ten minutes, as you just saw. <laughs> I don't like, I don't like it. I, I just don't like it. I, 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 I know my stuff. I want to get on, and I want that energy. Like when I used to host Good Day New York, 
for Fox, you know, they, I would show up. We had a tease at 658.30, and I'd get there like at 658, 658.10, you know, with 20 days to spare. And after a while, it was a running joke. They would like, sometimes they'd cut early to show my empty chair and stuff like that. But yeah, consistency, consistency, consistency wins the day. And I love beyond the consistency, the utilization of time. Uh, I'm, I'm the exact same way, you know, one after another. In fact, you know, I have four of these interviews and then a training and then I'm filming a TV show and I have three episodes and three podcasts along with those. And once again, I'll walk up 30 seconds to a minute beforehand uh, and make sure everyone else is prepared, which is part of the consistency that you're managing those expectations. Yep. But you also have uh, learned a lot, which is mm-hmm. as I you've been in the sports in the esports and my whole career in entertainment and sports as an agent the most interesting thing is i went over is that you would call the dark side to dave you're spending you know i do 12 interviews a day either me being interviewed or interviewing other people um and i'm blessed i'm interviewing people like you and blaine bartlett who just joined my my partner here uh and my mentor by the way from seattle from uh, seattle hold on where where in seattle mercer island I grew up in Whidbey Island. I grew up in Whidbey Island. Yeah, you want to be in Mercer Island, but you're on Whidbey. But I know Whidbey. I grew <laughs> no, up in. Actually, uh, I want to be. I want to be on Whidbey. Yeah I, yeah, I know. I grew up uh, in Puyallup. Oh, okay. Wow. Do All the right. Puyallup Fair. So, yep. There you go. Love it. <laughs> sorry, go. sorry. Go ahead, David. I, no, that's you know, okay. Washingtonians, I, the Evergreen State people. You know, we get a little nuts when we meet oh, one another. Well, he's not. Know, water, being... He's not too waterlogged, so that's good. Oh. Be, being business partners with Warren Moon, I have plenty of people stop my conversation to tell me something about Seattle or Washington in general, of course. Love Warren Moon, one of the best arms ever. Yeah, most Absolutely. accurate arm for sure. Yeah. Um, but you know what's so interesting is I never imagined how much I would learn. Uh, mm. You know, I, I'm a huge Napoleon Hill fan. Uh, I read it every day. I, I, I still read Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. But, you know, I'm a modern day virtual napoleon hill i get you know the billionaires millionaires entrepreneurs celebrities athletes entertainers and i get 15 to 20 minutes with 12 of them every day and i get to ask what i want to know um which hopefully some people are interested in the same things you must have come and grown much more than you ever could imagine from all the interviews that you've done and all the people that you've experienced you know what were some of the common denominators of that spirit of excellence from all the thousands of people that you've been with? A couple of things, because I, it's a great question, David. In traveling the world and meeting some of these people, you know, on location or, or wherever it may be, at the end of the day, we're just humans and we want to be acknowledged and we want to be loved. That's really all it is. Mm-hmm. All the infighting and the this and the that and the whatever. At the end of the day, you just want to be acknowledged. Not, not, you don't have to be praised. Just acknowledged, hey, how are you? How are you doing? And then we all just want to be loved. You know, you know, 98% of us, there's always that 2% my dad used to tell me in the backyard in Piaf. I go, watch out for those people, son. <laughs> but but, but yeah. also, here's the thing. You know, my wife is currently in Dubai. And she's building her third beauty brand and, and with a big impact to, to get 100,000 girls out of the slums in 10 years. And, you know, there are some setbacks along the way. It's hard. It's hard to raise money. It's hard to build a brand. She's an incredible entrepreneur. This is her third brand. She's won the Mahatma Gandhi Award from the British and Indian governments for her work. But she sees setbacks. And I said, you know, in every moment, back to my dad's 2%, even you can learn from those people. Every, everything's a teaching moment because mm-hmm. what comes at you is negative energy if it's, if it's in that state, right? So you either go like this, which takes a boatload of energy to push it back, or you look at it and then you take it and then you massage it the way you and take that and use it. And energy has no allegiance. Yeah. Energy has, has no, no allegiance. So you just take it and then you spin it into yours. And, and by the way, part of that turn is the learn, right? Oh, I just came up with a phrase. Part of the turn is learn. <laughs> and uh, I'll trademark that. You guys are very Got smart. It. Don't take it. Um, <laughs> but that's what I found, you know, and, and, and I take that back to my parents who were rock and roll rebels from the 50s, got married when they were 18 years old and were present of mind enough to ask each other, what's the one thing you need in marriage? They said, and they gave each other, it's too long to say here, but I never saw them mistreat each other in front of us. So I grew up because they didn't have that when they were growing up. And I saw that on a daily, sure, there were disagreements and you could tell there were tension, but they always respected each other. So first off, I saw two humans respecting each other. 
And when boundaries were hit, they would do whatever they needed to do. But it was always done in a way that was thoughtful and sometimes a little, you know, upset. But also a man treating a woman as a, that, and vice versa. So I grew up in that world. So as I went out into the world, I just that's what I was and that's what I am. And, and so they and they said, look, go. You know, we didn't have the opportunity. So go run. Like go. Just just the word was just go. And if you fall down, you know, on your butt, get back up. And just go. We'll, we'll be here. Now, if you, get, you fall down three times for the same reason, eh, then there's going to be a little issue. You know, you better go out, move and find a job. But so I had that kind of base of, of, of support in a sense, like just go and if you, you know, and learn. And that's back to your point, David. I have, you know, just everybody's human and we just want to be loved and acknowledged. And if you, if you just take a beat and mm -hmm. look at somebody, it makes a difference. You know, Tony, uh, I, I love everything that you're saying around this. And, particularly, and I am going to steal. Uh, energy has no allegiance. I, I love that. <laughs> uh, um, but the, you know, one of the four things that you talk about is uh, collaboration. And you know, I, was surprised. I, do, I was like, where's Blaine? He needs to talk about collaboration. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, you know, in, the, in the leadership work that I do, you know, the way that I've ended up defining leadership is it's a, the process of co-creating coordinated movement. I mean, mm. that's essentially what it is at the end of the day, co-creating yep. coordinated movement because leaders cause movement. That's what they do. So I'm struck by what you're talking about with your wife, you know, the, the idea of building brand, but more so I'm also very intrigued with the idea of, of, of just your interviewing history because it has to have been, and I speak about this from a leadership perspective, you know, you've had some tough interviews. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of co-creating coordinated movement, you know, when my wife and I get into you know, this sort of a thing every now and then, we've got a little phrase, you know, that's, that's interesting. Tell me more rather than, well, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how does you know, the idea of tell me more actually feed into the notion of collaboration in the long term, you know, both from a you know, pro professional perspective, but also from a leadership perspective, from your point of view? It's important because when about three years into my run at Access Hollywood and interviewing, you know, everybody that everybody knows, um, I started getting uh, emails and what have you from agents or phone calls. And, hey, can you maybe coach my A-list talent? Got to sign an NDA. Can you coach this executive? Because, you know, at Access and, you know, it, it was fun. And but we're the beast, right? We have to be fed every day. We need. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I know what the beast needs. I know the you know, I know the the little breadcrumbs I need to put out to get somebody into a corner if I wanted to. Yeah. And so that collaboration started to come together. And then much to your point, to tell me more, I started looking at them at a different, from a different place than I ever would have. Mm -hmm. And so I would come into it. It changed me a little different. Uh, it even works in business when I'd say, you know, how are you? What do you, you know, I was at another thing last night and um, how are you? What, what do you do? How can I help? Instead of telling yeah. them what I want to do for them, just let them, you know, and the biggest, here's the, my biggest issue. Maybe this will help people. I'm kind of a lone wolf. And, you know, I'm this guy from Puyallup who wanted to be in New York by the time I was 30 on a show, like, right. Who's going to, who's going to really help me. And my wife is the massive collab and I'll collaborate for everybody, but I'll never ask for help. Ooh. I just don't ask for help. And, and she's like, it's one of these things, right? And um, and if she should, she should have said to me, "Tell me more." But <laughs> I, I have, like, in the last three or four years, because I built a company, media company in Europe. I built another one in Budapest, and so I had to ask for help. And it's amazing how many people out there wanted to help me. Like I was always helping everybody else, but people really do want to help you, and it's hard yeah. to ask. For me, I'm just being, it's really hard for me to ask for help. Mm -hmm. And so that co-collaboration and co-movement and co-energy, my wife has exemplified that, you know, she built a $21 million brand in a year out of her garage. You know, this one it had in a, and wrote a best-selling book. I mean, it was like, and yeah. she had to ask for help. She didn't know. So, yeah. so they, yeah, that's kind of how, and I, I now <laughs> see it through a different lens because of that. Uh, Blaine, it's just amazing. What, what's amazing. Thank you for that. Yeah, Tony, what's amazing, too, is you hit on two things that really resonate with me. One, 
uh, people ask me the value of going to law school, especially as being a notable sports agent. You know, should I go? Should I go? And I said, you know, the greatest value beyond understanding not getting ripped off for my legal bills from going to law school and knowing what lawyers <laughs> bill like, uh, but more importantly, the simple idea of open-ended questions. You know, when you learn mm-hmm. voir dire, the idea of an open-ended question and the leading question. And I think that skill set beyond the interviews that we do and, and how we're doing this today has, you know, allowed me to ask for help. Because what happens when you are more interested than interesting is you learn about that person. As you said, you take that energy in and you create an allegiance with it. Now you can direct it with closed ended questions so that you can find out two simple things. One, everybody wants to know, how can I be of service or value? But that second thing that all three of us on on the screen here probably have had extreme difficulty because we've had success, which is how can you help me? Or do you know, would it be, you know, do you know someone that can help me is the simplest way I train people today. If you can remember a soft, even a softer way of asking for help, Hey, do you know anyone that can help me? You, you now can through open-ended questions, you know, understand, is this an open mind? an open heart and open hands, which like you said, is 98% of the people on earth. But even more importantly, it identifies mm-hmm. immediately the 2% when they're a-holes to you with a closed mind and basically you snub you. You're not wasting your time beating your head against a, dip, a, a wall. To finish up the content artists, you've you know been able to transcend your career. And I find it spectacular because I, you know, I have many other shows, Blaine and I, we want you on uh, to talk yeah. about what is going on with your content solution. There's so many distribution platforms. You seem to have a great handle and a great perspective on how best to distribute content and get the most value from it. And maybe the most exposure and branding as well. No, absolutely. Um, you know, we were building brands uh, for other people and they were selling them for a lot of money. And we're like, wait a second, maybe we should do our own. And I'm always been peeking around the corner of what's next. Right. And right. so, um, we, yeah, we build a company. We basically create, incubate, and accelerate ideas and content. And then we have a distribution platform. I believe 83% of all screens that people see pre-pandemic were out of the home, digital out of home, D-O-O-H. So I believe like, well, where are they? So we now have um, 96% of all screens in the back of Ubers and Lyfts. And soon we'll have uh, 2,608 screens in all the airports because people are traveling, walking around. And we feel that's a great distribution touch point in really innovative ways. I know we don't have time for that here. So I like to reach people where they are in a way that's interesting and bring value. And there are so many people like yourselves and others out there who I've met along the way that it's just a joy for me to to meet people like you and, and, and how can I help and, you know, What's going on in your brain? Because it's you know it's probably better than what's in mine. So let's get together and you know figure figure stuff out. And and by the way, my, one of the things I've, I learned since I was really young is like if I don't know something, I'm like, look, you're amazing. I don't know the answer, but there's a dude or a gal over there, and I'm going to send you right there. And that gives me so much joy when I see that happen and it works. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's why I call him brain, brain Bartlett, because he is an extraordinary, <laughs> brain extraordinary, extraordinary brain. And I'm blessed to be with both of you. Uh, Tony, please come back. Uh, we have other yeah. shows. We have a couple of TV shows. I'd love to have you. Uh, we have the first entrepreneurial late night show on Bloomberg. Uh, Blaine and I mm-hmm. called Office Hours. So we'd love to have you back to learn even more, if that sounds fair. Well, I would love to come back. And you guys are awesome. And thank you so much for having me, guys. Have a great wow. day. Enjoy your day. Pleasure, thank you. Great to meet you. Take care. <laughs> oh my goodness! You you know you 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 meet someone that's your kind of guy. Uh, oh yeah, he, he showed up, Blaine. You know, I was a little concerned because I'm sitting here at four fifty nine a.m. in Pacific Coast, and you're the most punctual person I know, and you're not here. And then, like with ten seconds less, he pops on screen. He goes, "Never missed a show. I just don't waste time waiting around." I'm like, "Oh, I love you. This is going to be a great interview." Anyway, <laughs> Alex Israel's waiting in the wings, co-founder and CEO of Metropolis. Not the metropolis where Superman lives, and uh, but a different metropolis.io. Um, and we are transforming the entrepreneurial journey by founding Metropolis. And uh, would love to understand the mobility of Metropolis and the value of this uh, great platform, I guess. Uh, Alex, welcome to Office Hours. Okay, unmute yourself. You just made the Dave Meltzer mistake. You wait, you wait so long. Hey, you wait you so go. long, right? Like I'm on these speeches sometimes and they pay 
way more than I shouldn't say I'm worth, but they pay way more than I ever anticipated being paid to speak. And you're supposed to be this professional, right? I'm sitting in my closet, not feeling like a professional, waiting 10 <laughs> minutes. And then I get on and I'm like, and everyone. <laughs> You'd think we'd all spend so much time on Zoom that we'd know by now. But, yeah. Uh, David, great we gotta automate that. to meet you guys. Yeah. It should be voice activated the minute you talk. Exactly. Right? Yeah, exactly. Just what we always wanted. Voice activated all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, great to be here. Oh, yeah. Good to have you here. Give us an idea of the autonomous platform uh, for what you've built with Metropolis. A absolutely. So, um, you know, Metropolis is concentrated on the future of cities and the future of mobility. We are at our core an artificial intelligence shop, and we're building what we're calling an autonomous commerce product. So you can think about a few products in the market today that do something similar, not from a competitive landscape, but from this idea of moving to seamless or checkout free transactions. So for us, it's repurposing and reinvigorating parking. That's the first vertical we're going after, this kind of old world experience that we're very familiar with, the, the guys with the wads of cash at the entrances and exits to parking lots. We're deploying a, a computer vision technology that allows you to pull into a facility. Our technology recognizes your vehicle. You get a text message when you pull in. When you go to leave, the gate automatically bends and you're automatically charged. None of all of the pain points normally associated with parking, we just make it a seamless checkout free experience. And we're doing that across the country. Yeah. How, how do you, I love that concept. <clears throat> it's, it's really you know, brilliant. And here's a question for you around, yeah, just the way yeah, it's an autonomous platform. And in your words, that is disrupting traditional city infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So how does, how does this notion actually serve as a dis, disruptor to the city infrastructure? What, what's the intent there? Yeah, it's a it's a great question, Blaine. So I'm I don't know where you're both located right now, but I'm I'm in Los Angeles and I'm looking over in my office at kind of a dark cityscape. And if you look at yeah. the city right now, 14% of that surface area of Los Angeles is parking. If you look at a city like Sao Paulo, 35% of the surface area of that city is parking. And it's kind of this underutilized, underdeveloped, never the highest and best use of land. So the question is, how is that land going to evolve over the next 30 years? And for us, it's going to serve the city. It's going to be repurposed to serve mobility. Think about cleaning, servicing, charging, deploying of all future forms of mobility, whether it be vertical takeoff and landing drones, whether it be autonomous vehicles. The question will be, how can we repurpose all of that physical infrastructure? It's amazing because in understanding the AI and the data that you can collect and the efficiency that's created, we now can create solutions that are aligned more in the vision for the future than traditional individual people in individual cars paying a fortune to park in a very slow uh, with lines that affect, you know, in a city, you know how much traffic is affected from parking? Oh. Yeah, people say north of 30% of on-street congestion is caused by people circling around looking for parking, whether it be on or off-street. It's a massive, parking's a massive pain point, and it hasn't evolved in 70 years. I mean, if, if you think about how our parents parked, it's how, exactly how we park today. And we're, we're just bringing all of that experience into the modern era and bringing it right into the palm of your hand. And you can imagine it, it, uh, when we understand who's parking there, how we could collaborate. Uh, I always like to bring that up with my friend Blaine. Uh, you know, we, we find that two people are driving from the same place into the same parking spot five days a week, right? We, we now can create a community and share data to create other efficiencies to save time, money, value, and network. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's amazing how through technology, a parking structure become a community and a networking tool uh, as well as a profit center. And you and I both know, I, I invested in a parking fund. So I know, you know, at one time, the mom and pop parking lots, uh, literally just by automating them with, with a credit card machine and not having an employee there, increased revenue 70% because there was no stealing, right? There was nobody getting to park for free, all the different things that occurred. What are some of the other things that you think are going to evolve from, you know, this initial, uh, distribution of just parking obviously you have a much bigger picture in the autonomous yeah. city yeah i think you know david for me 
if you think about the word mobility, it's a kind of a hot phrase that whether it be pundits or, or tech entrepreneurs talk about all the time. And if you actually look up the definition of mobility, mobility is defined as the free and easy movement of people, goods and services. There is no free and easy movement of people, goods and services throughout a city. So this idea of and you brought up the, the perfect point the massive congestion that live it, that limits and creates transportation deserts, limits economic growth. Parking is really at the core of that. And as we think about the future city, it's how do you convert this infrastructure into what I would qualify as a mobility hub? This idea of a centralized location that's repurposed and repatriated by the community. Should it be a park? Should it be a community center? How can we find higher and better use than just a dirty old surface parking lot and yeah i mean when when I mean, you mentioned la uh the 405 you know when when i was living in marina del rey uh well david you know this too i mean i would come down to see him or he'd come up and see me uh you know and we'd be on the 405 and it's kind of like okay you know let's just plan out about four hours yeah, and then kobe screwed up the helicopter idea for me oh, so, yeah yeah exactly know. yeah what what does this do to the congestion on the 405 and just to I mean, be very localized, but this is a much broader question because I've got I-5 up here in Seattle, which has the same same sort of an issue. Well, I think that's where you start to think about what the impact is of autonomous vehicles. And where we fit into the autonomous vehicle uh, ecosystem is they need physical infrastructure. Autonomous vehicles are not going to just circle around the block endlessly for their next job or their next ride. They have to get off the street, they have to get serviced, and then they have to be deployed to their next ride or their next job. Um, so if you look at the 405, which I am on on a regular basis, which is a parking lot unto itself, oh, yes. you think that the future of autonomous vehicles and you talk about how this physical infrastructure actually leads to one of two scenarios. You know, the, the common kind of narrative is this proverbial heaven or hell scenario associated with autonomous vehicles. So you have two, two realities. One is the cost of transportation drops so much as a result of the long-term value of the car, the cost to manufacture the car, and electric vehicle charging. So mm -hmm. if you think about the idea that I could get from Santa Monica to downtown LA for five cents. If that's possible and you're in, a, in an autonomous vehicle and you can be driving at 120 miles an hour and you can be in a designated lane, it's a wonderful concept. It's a wonderful idea. And we will reach that reality. The question becomes, as we're bridging the gap between that future and now, does that same efficiency drive the cost of transportation so low or everyone gets in cars and the entire landscape slams to a standstill. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to be a blend of the two in the short run. I think we're going to see a lot more congestion. A lot of people started buying cars as a result of COVID. So as we see congestion, I think we'll see this kind of classic kind of natural curve where we're going to see congestion rise, rise. And then you're going to see a steep drop off as the proliferation of autonomous vehicles really takes off. Interesting. And the utilization of autonomous, uh, autonomous vehicles, one of the aspects uh, that I think needs to be brought up is air. Um, you know, I, I'm still old enough to remember the Jetsons. The Jetsons. And, and, you know, I still believe that someday, you know, that cartoon is going to be representative of how we utilize metropolises and how we get along uh, in a very safe mechanism. Not, not a helicopter, uh, but something that, you know, no matter how great of a basketball player you are, you can't convince a pilot to change directions or, you know, with AI finding the safest and most efficient routes. Uh, but when you add depth to transportation and parking, we have plenty of space for everyone. Yeah, uh, where do you vertical? You have to go vertical, David. I, yeah. I completely agree. You know, the, the kind of mass proliferation, you see so many startups, the vertical takeoff and landing space. Um, and I, the one thing I love is every mock-up of every what they call a, a vertiport. This idea of an airport for these vehicles is the top of a parking lot. Um, and just <laughs> yeah. the idea that you can repurpose this land. And that's back to the same question. The cost of these vehicles is going to get so low. There's this constant misnomer that this technology is going to be great, but it's only going to be for the wealthy. 
It's only going to be for the Uber yeah. successful. And the truth of the matter is the cost of the tra this transportation is going to drop so low as a result of these vehicles being electric vehicles that it's going to be accessible to the average American. And you're going to be able to get into a vertical takeoff and landing vehicle in Santa Monica, and you're going to be at a Lakers game in four minutes. And yeah. that type of infrastructure just changes <laughs> the city. Think about why one of the reasons people don't love living in a lot of cities is because of that congestion, because of that gridlock. And this technology will seamlessly allow you to get from here to there at a low cost. Think about the equity it builds. Think about how many people are stuck, not able to get, you know, high paid jobs or the jobs they want because they can't get to them. And now you can seamlessly get from here to there. The, mm -hmm. the entire real estate uh, spectrum changes you know, where, where we live, the communities and the values of communities on the far out skirts now of cities to be able, maybe it doesn't take you four minutes to get to the Laker game, but 10 minutes, but you live halfway, you know, between Vegas and, and LA and it takes you, or you, you know, 10 minutes and all that land now, and we're redistributing everything. Um, you know, it, it's incredible. What you're doing is incredible. We absolutely want to have you back to discuss even more about, the future and how, you know, the next time I have you on, I want to talk about how do we not only prepare for today, which you're doing, but how do you prepare with Metropolis knowing the verticalization of transportation and the efficiencies that it caused and what other businesses have you been thinking about that, you know, mm -hmm. you are a futurist. I, I can see your mind spinning. I wish I had more time. <laughs> I do too. Uh, but I'd love to see how, how we can monetize the future together. So Thank you so much for joining us, uh, Alex. Uh, incredible Alex, entrepreneur. Great. Come back and visit us again. Thanks, David. Thanks, Blaine. Wonderful being here. You're amazing. You Thanks for waking up early. Uh, of course. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you. Go soon. Yeah. Hey, Blaine, it's, uh, it's amazing, right? You, you do a show at 5 a.m. Pacific time and everybody in the Pacific uh, Northwest. On the Pacific. Everybody wants coast. to come to this show. We do it at 3 p.m. You know, all the East guys want to come. I don't understand yeah. it. So yeah, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the idea of that disruption is, is, is just fascinating to me. And, and I, I know we've got uh, uh, Lauren coming Lauren. in here, um, but I just, you know, real quick uh, note on this. You know, when Henry Ford uh, was building the, uh, the assembly line for the Model T, yeah, Model A, actually. Uh, but, yeah, that whole thing, the idea of a weekend didn't exist. And he actually uh, made the car affordable in one sense. So, but had he made weekends and work week was structured in a way that the workers would have free time so that they would want to buy a car to go somewhere to take that time. That's, that's the, the advent of the weekend. There's a disruption that occurs when tech begins to actually look at the way that we live. So I do want to have him back on. It, 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 I think there's a fascinating conversation there. Oh, abso absolutely. I, uh, I, we're, have Lauren's working to get herself on there. So let's do the takeaways real quick uh, because I have a training on patients, uh, the reconciliation of patience and persistence. Uh, right after that, I'm filming a two minute drill, the last three episodes today. Uh, excited, by the way, to let everyone know office hours, uh, we'll be filming um, office hours uh, the Friday after the Super Bowl, four Fridays in a row. So we'll, we'll pick a Friday, Blaine, uh, and do, doing this. Uh, the mindset mastermind version, uh, the soul of business version, as we call it. Um, so we're we're very excited to use the Win Studio uh, that we have there that I use for my podcast. We'll be filming there in, in the lobby All of the right. Win, uh, so we'll get a, a lot of fun. Anyway, uh, let's do the takeaway of the day. See if we can get Lauren on. If not, uh, we'll we'll jump afterwards. Um, what's your takeaway for the day? Well, I mean, I, yeah, it was interesting when I came in, um, you know, with Tony, uh, he was talking, about, <laughs> it was interesting, uh, just you know, showing up right on time. It's kind of like, and it's kind of like, okay, well, I'm here now. Um, but the idea of energy, yeah, energy just flows. It, it does. And it, and it really doesn't have an allegiance. And I, and I really love that because people get so wrapped up, I think, in the idea of, um, setting goals and objectives and directions. And, and um, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff and not, and not to have that be a pejorative. I've, and it's useful and it's important to do. But the idea of managing energetic states, the idea of you know, just paying attention to where the energy is flowing. And this is, you know, one of the things that not only Tony, I think, talked about, 
but it was really interesting in terms of what Alex was talking about too. You know, and the, the way that the energy is flowing from a physical manifestation of parking and all of that other stuff. When we're paying attention to how energy is flowing, by definition, we begin to become in the flow itself. And if we're looking at this from, you know, just the idea of how do I get in the flow? Pay attention to where energy is moving, how energy is moving, what's causing energy to move, what's constraining it. I, I think the, the state of flow is nature's way of saying you're connected to spirit. I mean, that, that's essentially what goes on with that. I think it's the uh, nature's way of acknowledging that allowing you to acquire the knowledge that you're in spirit, that, mm -hmm. you know, you're always in the flow. It's what you're doing to interfere with it, which is exactly. why I, I teach people, right? I am healthy, happy, wealthy, and worthy. What am I doing to interfere? What I resist will persist. There's no need to go over it, under it, through it, around it, un oversell it, back and sell it, lie to it, manipulate it, or cheat it. If I simply make an allegiance with it, understand it, appreciate it, add value to it, acknowledge it, acquire the knowledge by giving it away. And then as we talk with Tony, which is my takeaway, um, ask for more. See, what, what happens is we, we're, we're, in spirit, we're in spirit. When we appreciate it, it adds value. It expands my vessel. The only way to know what I have now, this new appreciation, is to give it all away, to acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. Only way we acquire knowledge is to let it go in the flow then the most critical component, which most people forget, because if you don't ask for more at that stage, you just dissipate, dissolve. And what happens, and, and I use my mom as this example because she's so kind. You've met my mom. You know how I yep. feel about my mom. You see Love me cry 20 million times about my mom. But what, what frustrates me about my mom is she always appreciated what we had. And she always gave everything away. She gave her health away for her children, her money, right? And never ask for more so yeah. in the end now that she's close to 80 right she's given away her health she's given away all her money so she has the exact opposite what she wanted in her life right because now her children gladly have to help her with her health have to help yeah. her with their finances all because she was not humble enough to ask mm -hmm. not humble enough to ask and i don't pick on my mom i i, I mean this is a blessing and as respect because yeah. I know that it, it's almost counter of a woman's nature, not to give everything away, but no one's mm -hmm. teaching, especially women who are caretakers, who are nurturers, no one's teaching them that in order to feed, you got to be fed. And, yeah. you know, and this is, you know, one of the areas that I hone in all my teaching from the greatest and biggest CEOs and chairmen in the world to the beginning entrepreneurs, to the moms of the world. You got to not only appreciate what you have, acknowledge it and give it all away i agree the more you give the more you get but you got to ask for more or else yeah. you're going to end up with nothing anyway we're blessed to have lauren on here Great. one of one of my favorite uh topics he's the president of general rv uh family owned nation's largest dealer of rvs one of my greatest uh experiences are always in the rv that julie and i i'm sure you've heard the stories they they yeah. made the movie uh rv with my my friend warren moon in there with robin williams uh we have our own vacation stories uh no dogs dragging behind our rv but you know just i don't know why uh but oh my goodness i am a huge fan of the recreational vehicles. I think if people haven't experienced it, they should go rent one. And then when they find out great it is, they should buy or lease or do whatever. And, uh, you know, Lauren, what makes your business so emotionally attaching? You know, it's, it's like football, man. People just either love it or, or they're not interested. Uh, absolutely. Well, first, thanks for having me on, David. I appreciate it. Um, always good to, talk about RVs and uh, what we do on a daily basis. Uh, we're blessed to be in an industry that uh, does create a lot of emotion um, and attachment. Um, just like you said, uh, it, we talk about it creating lifelong uh, memories, you know, whether it's just for a, a couple or for a family. Uh, it, it just allows people to reconnect uh, with who they are and slow their life down a little bit and uh, be able to go travel to wherever they want to go. It, 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 open spaces and, and this country has so many great things to offer uh, and so many great places to go without any barriers. Um, an RV allows people to, to do that and uh, do that in style too. Yeah. 
in the so, yeah, you, you you were founded. Uh, well, you've been around, you know, for for basically ever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, Blaine, be careful. I think you've been around longer than they have. So don't say forever. Yeah, I think that's probably true. But I, I mean, you, know, you founded in Detroit, Michigan, Motor City, and. But that's not where you're headquartered now. You're out in Harrisburg. Um, what have you noticed? And, and you know, Tony and I were talking earlier. You know, he's from Puyallup, Washington. That's where he's originally from. But there's a there's a large uh, RV manufacturer out here in Puyallup as well. They're on the West Coast, a large dealer. Um, just what's what for you? I mean, I'm looking by coastal here. I've seen, you know, Motor City. I mean, transportation, all that kind of stuff. So RVs aren't just about transportation. There's an entire lifestyle that kind of comes along with this. And to your the point you were making, David, you know, people either love it or they, you know, it's kind of like football. It's a lifestyle. You know, you get into it. How do you define that lifestyle? And how do you actually uh, invite people to participate in that that don't know much about it initially? Uh, that's a great question. Um, we're, we're actually still here in uh, Motor City, so we're, we're still oh, headquartered outside of Detroit. Yeah, our uh, Harrisburg is actually our 14th store that we just opened, okay. uh, so it's a new retail location for us. So, um, but yeah, I, you know, for people that haven't done it and haven't had the experience to be able to do it, it can be a little bit intimidating. Um, it is a house on wheels, uh, but the great thing is within the RV industry, we've got uh, everything from the million-dollar bus you know, celebrity uh, coaches that you see out there all the way down to, you know, $10,000, you know, travel trailers that you can pull with a, a minivan. Uh, and so, you know, for people that, and it comes in all shapes and sizes. So to be able to get out and just try it and use it and enjoy it, um, the, the hurdles aren't as big as some people might think they are. And, and with COVID over the last year and a half, it has really opened the doors to people that want to get away from you know, all the, the clutter and the cities and, you know, big hotels and, and really take a lifestyle back and take control of that. And we've seen a really big influx of a lot of those people into the industry to give it a try. And, you know, the technology as I've been an RV person for a long time and started just with uh, a used uh, tailgating vehicle, uh, then all the way up to a nice long you know, shedding, dual shedding, air conditioning, satellite TV, which, by the way, on my uh, National Lampoon vacation, uh, I went under a overpass that was too low and took off my uh, satellite back. That was just one of the multiple things that Julie and I experienced with our kids and their friends. Um, But moreover, you know, we're looking again, uh, my wife and I, um, of purchasing a new one. Uh, one that will travel as the kids are going to college and we'll go mobile for at least a third of the year. We have so many beautiful friends, family, uh, and it just makes sense. But I started to look at it and man, has the technology changed? You know, I thought it was cool that I had a roaming satellite on my last one. Uh, but holy moly, like people are actually remodeling Blaine. They'll buy them and they look like they have islands. They have big screen TVs. Uh, they even have extensions in the back. They, you can make it long, which is, you know, one of the features that I love because I love to drive a smaller vehicle but have a larger one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, with with slide outs, with like you said, center island kitchens. Um, countertops are nicer than the ones that are in my house. You know, big screen TVs. Now on the outside, they've got big screen TVs outside underneath the awning with cooktops and grills and. I, you know, they've really two found story, a way to, you have the two story one I saw. You can actually it has a second story. The, yeah, they've got ones where you can get up and on the roof. Some of those are for, you know, NASCAR people or ta- tailgating. I mean, they, they come in all shapes and sizes. It's unbelievable the technology they put in these now. And which one was most surprising? I mean, you guys have been in business for 60 years. And so you've seen the evolution, you know, of that van again, all the way to the, the, the things that exist today. What What's one of the technologies that to you is still remarkable being in the industry? I, you know, it's really the biggest thing that changed was late 90s, early 2000s was the invention of that slide out where that whole side of the coach slides out. It gives you so much more floor space, openness. I mean, you can have six, eight people in one of these RVs and you're not climbing all over each other. You feel very, very comfortable. Allows you to have two different couches, recliners. There's a lot of them now have the theater seating with the massage chairs and the, the 
the cooling drink spot and you know plugins for your phones you know so it, it just allowed them to be able to expand all these different great ideas and i know we're tight on time because we had a little technical we're gonna ha- we're gonna have you back too but blaine yeah. do you know you can also get a mortgage you can actually get a mortgage yep. for an rv which yep. I, I want people to know because you know there especially with the <clears throat> pandemic people are looking at different opportunities and options to we were talking about mobility er- earlier uh alternate uh, second homes, uh, you, you can get a mortgage and, you know, we, we're, we're actually bought a piece of land in, in St. Louis. We live in California. We bought a piece, an acre on water. We parked uh, our new motorhome there, took a mortgage on it. And the cost of the mortgage in the land are less than it costs to park it in California. Wow. <laughs> right. That's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. That's- yeah. You can, you can do mortgages on these anywhere from 10 to 20 years. Our entry level ones are about a hundred bucks a month. Yeah, you know, so oh, it can be very affordable. Absolutely, that's crazy. Yeah. Are, are you, and I know we're short on time here, but just real quick, final question: Yeah, electric. Are 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 you moving into the EV space? Um, you're starting to see more of it. Uh, so what what we're seeing right now is more of we're going to have electric uh, capacity within the vehicle. So now you okay. can go what they call dry camping. So you can go yeah. places where you don't have to plug in. And everything works. Your air conditioner works. Your, and with solar packages, they're able to recharge. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can go a couple of days with using your whole facility without running a generator um, and out running all that. So we're seeing that part come into it. The driving electric part is coming, I think, within the next couple of years as uh, the manufacturers build the chassis that are able to handle it. Handle the battery. Yeah, and there's, yeah. there's no fumes and it's quiet. Uh, yeah, so yeah. It, I think that's a major advancement, just having the the power walls and the solar that they have now the the home mm. batteries uh and they're only getting better i've been wor- working with power home solar as you know blaine and, and the technology yeah. that's coming and it, as billions of dollars including ford uh their vc fund bill- billions of dollars are being put into the transportation space with larger vehicles and ev yep. so it's just a matter of time i think not oh, only yes, internally yeah. uh, but the actual vehicles completely being solar uh and the battery capacity and power uh, to get one of those vehicles where it needs to go. So amazing, Lauren, I'm going to be giving you a call when, when it's time to go <laughs> to get that. I, 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 I'm sure you have a dealership around St. Louis somewhere, so I'll make sure I call you. <laughs> yeah, we'll take good yeah. care of you. Appreciate, good. appreciate you having us on and uh, we'll be ready for your upgrade when you're ready. Yeah, we'll have, we have other shows too. I want, I want to get more into, you know, some of the lifestyle things that we're talking. Thank Thanks. you for your patience with the technology. We'll have you back. I just have a training in a few minutes. So yeah, we no, won't hurry no you worries. Thanks Thank for you having me on. on. Appreciate Take it. Care, nice talking to you guys. Awesome. You betcha. All righty. We got, cool. uh, um, Dom. all right. La- last but not Dom's here real quick. He has a question for us. There uh, we go. Dominic Volick. He is the group head of the private clients for Henley and partners. Uh, Dominic, you have a question for Blaine and I? Yeah, so um, good to see you guys. Uh, quick question. Um, obviously, what, what we do is assist uh, high net worth individuals all over the world with gaining residence and citizenship by investment. And uh, I was sitting with, with uh, one of them recently and asked him what his sort of purpose is and you know what, what drives him. And he, he identified three things. He's a, he's a Forbes Midas list tech investor. And he said it's all about impact, happiness, and freedom. And so the, the question I had for you is, is what is your interpretation of that, and particularly on the freedom piece? But you want to go first or you want me to? Um, well, the freedom piece, I mean, <laughs> impact. Impact, what was the other one? Impact. Impact, happiness, and freedom. Impact, happiness, and freedom. Um, boy, that's an interesting mix. Uh, yeah. Multiple residences, I'll just kind of start with that. Multiple residences around the world or, you know, just you know, geographically gives me a lot of flexibility. Uh, and we had a guest on not too long ago that we talked about this as well, David. But uh, I, I think the idea of freedom, yeah, I don't want to be constrained. And COVID certainly, I think, is is led into that. Yeah, I'm, one of the reasons I'm up here on Woodby Island is my wife and I decided we wanted to get out of L.A. Uh, when the, when the, when the pandemic started. And we and a lot of that had to do with freedom, you know, just being able to actually move around. And and from an impact perspective, you know, tech has really uh, shrunk the world to such a degree that I don't physically have to be in a lot of places any longer to have the impact that I've always had, and I want to continue having. So, 
Um, and I'm bookending that because that middle piece, happiness, uh, I think comes as a consequence of being well used uh, and being well used. You know, I've got a finite amount of life you know, to expend and how I'm using it makes a difference. So I just kind of, you know, how do I make impact? How do I have impact? Do I have the freedom to actually navigate my world in a way that works for me and my family? And as a consequence of that, I kind of derive happiness out of it. Yeah. And for, and for me, Dominic, I reverse it the other way. I think you have to acknowledge your own happiness. Uh, you have to enjoy the consistent, persistent pursuit of your own potential, not what other people want, not what other people think, not what's missing or what you don't want. So I think if you focus in on happiness, you then will have a frequency that resonates with more people that creates a greater impact by providing uh, value to others and creating more happiness to elevate others, to celebrate others, to empower others. And if you are happy, you'll impact more people and they themselves will be empowered to be happy, which will impact even more, which leads to freedom because freedom is the, uh, the freedom to me is not only to have as many wishes a day that you want, uh, but to be able to choose which wish you would like to pursue. Uh, and so for me, the, the freedom of being able to wish and then to pursue that wish uh, and prioritize it according to your own values is true freedom. And so happiness derives impact, which allows for freedom. And may everyone wish for more wishes and follow their own dreams and enjoy the consistent, persistent pursuit of their potential. Dominic, thank you for allowing us the yes. brevity of a question and the depth <laughs> of an answer please come back and join us. Uh, you can find him at henleyglobal.com, private clients for the Henley and Partners Group there. Thank you so much, Dominic. We will see you soon. Take Thank care. You. All right, Blaine, I got to hey, jump to training. I love you. You got to go to training. We, we, uh, we miss you and uh, tell your beautiful bride, as always, that I love her. Uh, Learn.blainebartlett.com forward slash LMM. It's not brain, it's Blaine, although he has an extraordinary brain. And I appreciate it all the time for being such a great mentor to not only me, uh, but to so many with his mindset, mastermind, and other things that he does to change our world because he is a happy man, an impactful man, and a free man. So thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, buddy. Have a Thanks for waking up early. Everybody, it's amazing uh, from coast to coast. Who rocks the most? The West Coast. We're here early. Where are you, East Coast people? Come on, let's make it happen. Anyway, remember, most importantly, I got training in seven minutes, Patience versus Persistence, The Reconciliation, the new book that I'm writing on reconciled currencies and flow, reconciling the things that are counterintuitive that seem to not work or collaborate together, but actually are synergistic, supplementary, and aligned like patience and persistence. They're best friends, believe it or not. I look forward to teaching. I look forward to listening and learning. As an intelligent follower, Blaine Bartlett and I have enjoyed the show. Most importantly, be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We'll see you next week.